Take your Bible and turn to Genesis chapter one. I promise you, we're gonna get out of Genesis chapter one today, today. Now, before I go any further, I wanna remind you that if you're a member of this church, you received a card. We've presented the, the new budget for the new budget year. Uh, we discussed it and today we vote on it and you have a card and you can put yes or no. And I want to encourage every member of this church to fill out your response to that and drop it in the offering boxes when you leave today. Please do that. So we're in Genesis chapter one. And I want to begin by asking you to fill in a blank. Okay, here it is. When I was in school, I loved fill, fill in the blank test. Complete this sentence. The apex of creation is, what would you say it is? Well, some would say it's the eagle that soars higher and higher into the sky. Some would say it's the dolphin as it swims effortlessly in the ocean and shows out by jumping out of the water. Some would say it's the beautiful butterfly as it flits from flower to flower. Some would say it's the stars as they exhibit their glory in space. Some would say it's the mountain streams rushing to their destination. I would say that the apex of creation is found in the last part of Genesis chapter one, the apex of creation is when God created Adam and Eve. That's the apex of creation. Now last Sunday we surveyed the creative power and genius of God as in six 24 hour days, he fashioned light, he fashioned atmosphere, dry land, vegetation, sun, moon, and stars, living creatures that filled the waters and the earth and birds to fill the sky. From Genesis to Revelation, God confirmed, the Bible confirms that God is the creator of everything. In Nehemiah 9, 6, the Bible says, you alone are the Lord. You have made the heavens, the heaven of heavens with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them. You give life to all of them and the heavenly host bows down before you. In Isaiah 44, 24, the Bible says, thus says the Lord, your redeemer, the one who formed you from the womb. I am the Lord. I'm the maker of all things, stretching out the heavens by myself and spreading out the earth all alone. In Acts 17, 24, Paul stood there in Athens and he began a conversation with some of the most educated intellectual people in Greece. And here's what he said to them. In Acts 17, 24, he said, the God who made the world and all things in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. So last week we covered the first five days of creation and we looked at part of God's creative activity on day six. Today, we will pick up with the creation 
of the first two human beings, we know that their names are, are Adam and Eve. You say, well, how do we know that? Because the Bible says their names are Adam and Eve. The Bible says, even Jesus called them by name, Adam and Eve. There's internal evidence for the reality of the first two human beings. Now, since they are the, the apex of God's creative power and genius, I have an amazing truth I want to share with you. Now, look, this is a statement I want you to get in your heart and in your mind. I don't want you to ever forget it. It's very simple. You matter to God. Now, that's good not only for T-shirts, but that's true for life. That's true for what the Bible teaches from Genesis to Revelation. You matter to God. Now, why would I make such a bold statement and how can I back it up? Well, I've got four reasons that I want to share with you today why I would make such a bold statement. Number one, God has created you. Number one, God has created you. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, the Bible says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. So right here in verse 26, the God, God the Trinity says, Let us make man according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on there. Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. You think God's trying to get something across to us? I think God's trying to say to us in no uncertain terms that God created everything, including the human race. Now, here's the question you've got to settle in your heart and your mind. Will you believe in the existence of a sovereign creator God who is infinitely powerful, infinitely wise, infinitely holy, infinitely loving, and infinitely just? Will you believe in that God? So many people in our world choose not to believe in the true one creator God. Now, here's another question. Will you believe God's word? Or will you take the word of evolutionists and people who have rejected God and rejected his son, Jesus Christ? Will you believe God's word? I love what Dr. Paul Goldsmith a geneticist at Cal Berkeley said, he said to suppose that such a random event, evolution, could reconstruct even a single complex organ like a liver or kidney is about as reasonable as to suppose that an improved watch can be designed by throwing an old one against the wall. Now, I'm going to ask Jordan Bram, come, come up here, Jordan. I want you to help me with something. Now, I want you to think about the complexity of the human body. Jordan's going to help me. Come up here. Jordan, I've got 10 pennies here. They're numbered from 1 to 10. Here's your job. I want you to pull them out in order. One, put it back in your pocket. Then pull out number two, put, the, put it back in. 
Then number three, all the way to 10. I want you to put them in there and shake them up real good so you don't have them sort of arranged in any way. I know you wouldn't do that on purpose, right? All right. Now I want you to imagine, this is a very simple thing I'm asking Jordan to do. 10 pennies, pull them out in order, okay? Now understand this, if Jordan pulls the first one out, he's got one in 10 chance. If he pulls the second one out, number two, he's got one in 100 chance. If he pulls number three out in order, he's got one in 1,000 chance. If he makes it all the way up to nine and then number 10, it'll be one in 10 billion chances. One in 10 billion. Now, Jordan, pull out number one. What number is that? That's six. You didn't do very well, did you? Put it back in. <laughs> now, mix them up. Now, pull out the next one. It's got to be number two, okay? Number eight. Number eight. You, you're just flunking this thing, man. <laughs> and now, pull out the next one. Six again. Six again. You stuck on sixes, aren't you? Don't, don't pull out six another time. That's six, six, six. <laughs> we don't want that, brother. Hey, Jordan, thank you for helping me illustrate something very important. What do we illustrate? This is a very simple exercise. 10 pennies, pull them out one at a time in order. One in 10 billion chances that he could do that. You can have those pennies, all right? That's my pay to you today. Now, let me ask you this. I want you to think about the complexity of your eyesight, the complexity of your cardiovascular system. Are you telling me that evolution over billions of years could accomplish something like that? Why, Jordan can't even pull out 10 pennies in order out of his pocket. Now, I want you to realize this. Why would intelligent people embrace the theory of evolution instead of believing that God created everything. I, I've got some ideas why they do that. Number one, many of their compatriots have fallen for the trap of evolution and they don't want to be different. They don't, don't want to stick out and be different. And here's the main reason that people reject the idea of creation in favor of evolution. They have rejected outright the idea of God. They say there's no such thing as God. Therefore, when it comes to evolution, even though they know it's mathematically impossible, they refuse to reject evolution and to believe in the creator God. Listen, I want you to notice here in, in, in our, our text, in Psalm 139 verses 13 and 14, the psalmist wrote, for you formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works and my soul knows it very well. So not only was Adam and Eve created 
by the sovereign creative hand of God. But I want you to know that every person within the sound of my voice was created in your mother's womb. God created you. He fashioned you. And the Bible says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You really do matter to God because you are the apex of his creation. That's why every human life is valuable to God, regardless of age, race, gender, it doesn't matter. The baby in the womb is valuable to God. Latinos, blacks, Asians, whites, Mexicans, all people are valuable to God. The poor are valuable to God. The middle class are valuable to God. The rich are valuable to God. Vulnerable children and teenagers are valuable to God. Senior adults are valuable to God. Women and men are valuable to God. Why? Because God created them. God's design for the human race includes a definite gender. I want you to look at our text one more time. Look at it. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. He created human beings to either be male or female. Maleness and femaleness are good and meaningful just as other parts of God's creation are good and meaningful. Look at verse 31 of our text. Look at it. Genesis 1:31. God saw all that he had made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. You know what God said? It's good that Eve is a female. It's good that Adam is a male. That's God's creative design. And here is the, the thing I want you to understand. A man is absolutely superior to a woman. I better finish that sentence, right? <laughs> a man is absolutely superior to a woman at being a man. And a woman is absolutely superior to a man at being a woman. That's true, folks. So here's what you got to understand. You really do matter to God. You matter to God. There are clear reasons for believing this. And the first one is God has created you. Here's the second one. God has exalted you. Look again at verse 26 and 27. Notice the repeated emphasis upon the image of God. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created. You see the repeated emphasis upon the fact that when God created Adam and Eve, when he created you in your mother's womb, he created you in the image of God. Think about this for just a moment. What does it mean to be created in the image of God? 
Well, it means that men and women, human beings, have a God consciousness that the animal kingdom does not have. Have you ever seen a monkey reading the Bible? Have you ever seen a monkey bowed and praying to God? Have you ever seen a bear with his paws raised to heaven worshiping the living creator God? No. You know why? Because animals do not have a God consciousness. You do. You have a God consciousness. We are able to worship God because we're body, soul, and spirit. Animals do not have that privilege. You've been blessed with a mind to know God. You've been blessed with a heart to love God. You've been blessed with a will to obey God. No animal, no fish, no bird, and nothing that creeps on the earth can know God, love God, and obey God. Even in our fallen, fallen crooked world, we are still dignified with God's image. Look, I know that Adam and Eve sinned against God. And there was a perfect world that became a fallen and broken world. And you were born with a sin nature. Every person within the sound of my voice was born with a sin nature. We not only do bad things, but we do bad things because that's our nature to do bad things, right? But I want you to know, you still have the image of God. How can you say that, Pastor? Well, look at Genesis 9, 6. The Bible says, this is after the flood, whoever sheds man's blood, by man his blood shall be shed. Why? For in the image of God he made man. In James 3, verses 8 and 9, the Bible said, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse men who have been made, look, in the likeness of God. You haven't completely lost the image of God as a sinful human being. But the, the image of God is somewhat marred in our lives, unlike it was originally in the lives of Adam and Eve. Of course, the Lord Jesus Christ was incarnated into this human race as a son of God and son of man, and he represented the image of God to perfection. In fact, the Bible says in Colossians 1.15, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the Bible says, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. I want you to know that in the first century, when Jesus was preaching and teaching and healing and, and doing his ministry, when people saw him, they saw God in the flesh. They saw the perfect image of God. And even though the image of God in us has been marred by sin, Jesus has come to save us. And he's come to renew God's image in us so that we can glorify him by making him known in a world that is broken and crooked. No wonder Paul challenged the believers in the first century. In Romans 8, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined 
to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Do not lie to one another since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self who is being, look at this, renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. You know what Jesus is doing in the life of, an, of, of a believer right now? If you're a born again believer, this is Jesus' goal for you. He wants to take the image of God that has been marred in your life by sin and brokenness. And he wants to renew within you that image of God so that progressively you become more and more and more like God. And the people who live around you and your family, those who work with you, those who go to school with you, they can see the image of God in you and you are able to glorify God in this world. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, the Bible said, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the spirit. Your life has intrinsic value. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're going through. I don't care the stuff in your past. I'm telling you that your life has intrinsic value to God. You really matter to God. And we must fulfill our destiny by thinking straight in a crooked world. That's the title of our series we're in, Thinking Straight in a Crooked World. You know what we need to do? We need to think straight about God. We need to think straight about creation. We need to think straight about the value of human life. We need to think straight about our destiny. Listen, you matter to God. And I say that for two reasons. God has created you and God has exalted you and placed within you the image of God. My goodness. Number three, God has directed you. He's directed you. Look at verse 28. God blessed them and God said to them, to Adam and Eve, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Can you imagine the facial expression on Adam and Eve when God directed them with this careful commission? We're to have dominion over all of creation. They must've looked at each, how in the world are we gonna do this? It's only two people, right? But notice, God also directed them to be fruitful and multiply. Within chapter 2, we're going to look at, at how God designed a marriage. And he designed marriage so that a husband is committed to his wife and a wife is committed to her husband. And they're both committed to God and to God's plan for the family. And it's God's plan that husbands and wives come together. They become one flesh and they have children that become godly children and they populate Cairoville. They populate the state of Tennessee. They populate America and they populate the world with godly families that are making a difference for the glory of Christ. That's God's plan. 
You might say that the creator God has not only created you in his image, but he has deputized you. He's deputized you. You, right here in this room, you who are watching live stream, you who are born again believers, you have been given dominion over the earth. Now look at the scope. We're to rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What a responsibility the Lord has assigned to us. In fact, we are stewards over every facet of creation. But now remember, with that responsibility comes accountability. We are accountable to God for how we exert our dominion over his creation. We are accountable to God. So we've said that the number one thing I want you to walk out of here today is simply this. This statement, I don't want you to ever forget it. You matter to God. You may be depressed today. You may be going through the most difficult time in your life today. Your marriage may be in trouble. Your finances may be about to overwhelm you. You may have, been, you may have lost your job. You may be looking for a mate and you're hurting and you feel like the scum of the earth. You're not the scum of the earth. I want you to know that you matter to God. You matter to God. He cares about you. He loves you. He has a purpose and plan for your life. He has created you. He has exalted you. He has directed you. And number four, God has supported you. He has supported you. Look at verses 29 and 30. Then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth, which has life, I've given every green plant for food and it was so. I'll tell you, whatever God decrees is so, amen? It, it, it seems that these verses show that all were fed from God's hand. Adam and Eve were fed from God's hand. The birds were fed from God's hand. The, the, the fish were fed from God's hand. The, the animals were fed from God's hand. And prior to the fall of Adam and Eve, it seems like only vegetation was provided by God for both animals and humans to eat. There were no carnivores on the earth at this time. There was no death on the earth at this time. Not until after Adam and Eve sinned against God. That's when death became a reality. Now, you may be thinking, well... I guess that means we should all be vegetarians. We should never eat meat. Look what the Bible says. Hold your horses. Now, I want you to remember that Moses wrote this. And he, the, his original audience were the Jewish people, right? And, and what is one of their most important celebrations? Passover. What were they to eat on Passover. Lamb 
Meat, right? Hey, did Jesus eat meat? Yes, he did. Jesus observed the Passover religiously. There's no telling how much lamb meat Jesus ingested during his 33 years on this earth. And what did Jesus feed the disciples there at the Sea of Galilee after his resurrection? Fish. So be careful. Now look, if you choose to be a vegetarian, go for it. If you think that's what God wants you to do, you go for it. And if you choose to eat meat, you go for it if you feel like that's what God's called you to do. Now look at chapter 9, verses 1 through 3. Let me show you where this comes from. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Remember, there are only eight people that survived the flood. And God said to Noah and his family, be fruitful and multiply. Now, I know you know what that entails, right? Number two, verse two, the fear of you and the terror of you will be on every beast of the earth and over every bird of the sky and with everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea and into your hand they are given. See, I want you to understand that dominion over creation was still given to Noah and the survivors of the flood even after the fall of man into sin. Look at this. Every moving thing that is alive, verse 3, shall be food for you. I give it all to you as I gave the green plant. God says, I'm giving you green plants to eat. I'm giving you vegetation and I'm giving you meat to eat. Now look back at Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed. God finishes what he starts. Amen. That's true in salvation. That's true in creation. Verse two, by the seventh day, God completed his work, which he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it, he rested from all his work, which God had created and made. Listen, God supported the human race by ordaining that they work six days a week and that they rest one day a week. You see, food and rest are an integral part of God's plan for you. Why, why would I say that? Because you matter to God. He wants you to be the very best you can be. He wants you to represent his image to a lost and broken world. I love Genesis 1:31. Look at it. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Now, you go back in Genesis, and everything God creates says it's good. It's good. It's good. But when you come to verse 31, after the creation of Adam and Eve, God said, it's very good. It's very good. So God created a perfect world. And on the final day, he created Adam and Eve and placed them in the Garden of Eden. They were the apex of creation. And the point we've made today based upon our text is simply this. You matter to God. I, I've got a t-shirt that was part of our student ministry several years ago. 
and that it's a blue t-shirt with white, white writing and it says you matter and you do, but you need to understand you matter to God. You matter to God because he has created you. He has exalted you. He has placed within you his image. I cannot overemphasize the importance of that. And he has directed you. And he has supported you. Here, here's my question to you as we come to the end of the message. Will you live with a sense of significance that God expects you to live with? You're not, a, you're not a piece of dirt. You're not a cosmic accident, as the evolutionists want you to believe. You're a creation of God. You have significance. Will you live that way? Will you think that way? Here's the second question. Will you seek to honor and glorify God by allowing Jesus to renew God's image within you, to remove the stuff that marred it, the sin and brokenness that marred it, and to make God's image just shine forth from you in front of all kinds of people in this world. You see, we should enjoy God and we should glorify him forever. Here's the third question. Will you express your gratitude for God, to God for all he has done for you? Will you do that? Will you do that this morning? I'm going to ask our worship team to come. I'm going to ask our staff to come. And we're going to have a time of worship. It's a time for you to respond to what the Holy Spirit has said to you through the word of God today. And, and I pray that if you're in this room today, that you will express your gratitude to God for creating you, for exalting you, for supporting you, and for directing you. I pray you do that. Hey, you can come to the altar and you can bow on your knee before the Lord and you can worship Him and praise Him for what He's done in your life. But if you're in this room, the final question I've got for you today is simply this. There's some of you and you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord. And I tell you, if you exit this life without believing in Jesus, it'll be the most terrible thing that could ever happen to you. I want to invite you today to believe God when he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God loved you so much. You matter so much to God that he was willing to sacrifice his own son on the cross of Calvary to pay the penalty for your sins so that you could be forgiven and so that you could receive the gift of eternal life. I pray that there are people in this room, there are people watching live stream who will this day turn from their sin 
and place their faith in Jesus as Savior and Lord. I pray you'll do that today. You come as God leads you. Our staff is here. We'd love for you to come and just tell them what God's laid on your heart and they'll help you with your decision. If you want to come to the altar and pray, if husbands and wives want to come to the altar and pray for their families, you come. Let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you that we matter to you. We thank you that you created us, that you've exalted us, that you have directed us and you have supported us. Father, we owe everything to you. You are our creator, our redeemer, our sustainer. And we worship you today. Father, I pray that through the Holy Spirit's ministry, you would do a deep and abiding work in our hearts. In Jesus' name.